0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Okay, welcome back. You're in the House of Mystery again, and of course we're on KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles. I'm Al Warren. Now, uh, this is the interview part of the show, and today we have a returning guest, one that's uh, written some amazing books and uh, very good history involved in this. Uh, Mark Shaw, thank you for being here.
1: Hey, thank you Al.
0: So Mark, um, now you've had uh, I guess about three books uh, kind of aimed toward uh, or centered around the JFK assassination and and kind of uh, what went on with Dorothy uh, Kilgallen. Uh, Maybe, maybe remind the listeners exactly who Dorothy was and uh, also talk about why um, you started writing about her.
1: Well, it's interesting. Actually, uh, I've had four that have touched on the assassination. The first one led to the other three, so maybe we'll mention it because it, it was not intended to do so. Uh, there was a famous uh, lawyer, you may uh, realize, and some of your audience will, Melvin Belli, uh, who was a uh, bigger than life a lawyer? You know, we don't have too many of those anymore, but uh, back in the uh, latter part of the, and uh, in the middle to the latter part of the 20th century, you know, we had uh, F. Lee Bailey and we had Racehorse Haynes and we had, you know, Melvin Belli and all these great lawyers uh, that were bigger than life. Well, Belli was one of them. Uh, he was in San Francisco. I happened to know him in the 1980s. I practiced law a little bit then and was in his building. We got to know each other, and uh, Belli was famous as the king of torts. Uh, the uh, you know he won all these big awards with uh, suing pharmaceutical companies and all of that. But uh, I knew him more uh, as a, um, a personal injury lawyer, really, uh, one who demonstrative evidence in the courtroom and all of that but uh, bellay's um, main client at the time uh, w- it really interested me I, and I knew him and so I started uh, working on a biography of Bell-Eye. and so as I did that I started learning more about him uh, his main client was nicky Cohen, the los angeles gangster and I found out of course as as many uh, know that he was jack ruby's attorney uh, for his uh, for ruby's trial in uh, in dallas in 1964 march of 64 so I worked on the Belli uh, biography and uh, I'll go back in a minute to one clue that came up about Kilgallen while I was doing that. But I got to wondering if if somebody could take a look at the JFK assassination from a t- completely different viewpoint. And that, that was to look uh, at why Bobby Kennedy wasn't killed instead of why JFK was. And that kind of came from my days as a criminal defense lawyer looking at motive and everything else. And Belli being involved with the mafia, uh, you know, really kind of clued me in that something like that might be possible. So I wrote the book, uh, Melvin Belli, King of the Courtroom, and then I wrote a book called The Poison Patriarch, about Joe Kennedy and Kennedy's fixing the 1960 election, and uh, of course his connection then to uh, some of the mobsters that helped them win that election, and the double cross that went on, and you know, all of this, and I started to kind of nail down uh, who I felt uh, may very well have orchestrated the JFK assassination. But there was one quote during the bel research. I'm a curious guy like you are, Al, and uh, one of Belli's close friends said to me, well, you know, Belli knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, uh, what? He was on uh, What's My Line, which was this famous quiz show that, that Dorothy Kilgallen was mostly known for, Uh, It was an intellectual show out of New York, a live show. They guessed people's unusual occupations, selling dynamite or owned a nudist colony or something like that. And so I said, was he on that show? He said, no, Mark, you don't know anything about her. She was a a syndicated columnist to 200 newspapers across the country uh, with her Voice of Broadway column, which was about Broadway and crime and current events and all of that. She had a radio show listened to by a million people in New York City every day. And she covered many of the major trials of the 20th century. The uh, Dr. Sam Shepard case, which became uh, the fugitive with uh, Harrison Ford. She did the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case, and she covered the Jack Ruby trial. And I said, well, that's pretty amazing. I had no idea. And he said, well, one thing... You know, when she died, Melvin Belli said to me, this is Ruby's attorney, said to me, they've killed Dorothy, now they'll go after Jack Ruby. They've killed Dorothy, now they'll go after Jack Ruby. And what Belli was alluding to was the fact that Kilgallen uh, launched an 18-month investigation into the JFK assassination, and just before she was about to, including going to the Jack Ruby trial and, and interviewing him and everything, she was just about to expose her evidence, which... Um, would have named names and, and all of that when she was found dead uh, in her uh, Manhattan apartment on November 8, 1965. And so, you know, th- that really made me wonder about what happened to uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, and that launched my research into her, which led to uh, the bestseller, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much About Dorothy, and then the most recent book, Denial of Justice, which came out about a year and a half ago. Uh, A follow-up book, and then a third book that I'm working on now that we can talk about. So uh, that's how I landed on uh, and onto Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, basically uh, all because of one quote that I uh, I heard from uh, from this guy who knew Melvin Belli very well.
0: Wow, you just never know what will change you, what changes your direction, you know?
1: Yeah, I think so, and um, you know, like a lot of other people who have learned about Dorothy. Um, I was just amazed at the, the kind of uh, reporter she was. You know, just recently, uh, I gave a I gave a presentation in uh, Dallas in uh, on November in November of uh, last year uh, on denial of justice and Dorothy Kilgallen, and uh, it was about a two-hour uh, lecture uh, with questions and everything. These people in Dallas were so interested in Dorothy and all of that, and um, it was interesting because uh, they videotaped the uh, presentation. And, uh, of all things, they put it up on, on YouTube, of course, and it got a few thousand uh, views, and we were so happy. And then the library got in touch with me and said, Mark, we don't know what happened, but it's taken off. And all at once, instead of 10,000 views, there were 100,000, and then 200, and then 300, and 400. And I think my wife told me as of yesterday, there's more than 600,000 views of that presentation. People can go into YouTube and find it, Denial of Justice, my name and Dorothy's name, and it really let me know that uh, so many people have felt like that, and what they've said is they felt educated by Dorothy, that she came up with the most uh, plausible, credible uh, explanations for what happened back in 1965. And, and now the, the most important thing there is something that you do and I do. And that's look for primary sources of somebody who can actually say that they witnessed something. Well, unlike me, who wrote about the JFK assassination in the first couple books and all of the other authors out there, uh, we weren't there. But Dorothy Kilgallen was in the front row at the Jack Ruby trial. She interviewed him twice, as I said, and then for 18 months she looked into the assassination uh, on the Dorothy Kilgallen story.org, people can see all of the columns she wrote about the assassination, interviews uh, uh, about her, including with Joe Tonahill, uh, Ruby's co-counsel. I mean, the, the, the prima facie evidence is there, and that's the reason that that people are so interested in what happened to Dorothy. And uh, I'm just very proud of the fact that for whatever reason, people found that video and have, and, and and you know found the books and things like that because. Um, for, for so many years, 50-some years, she, her, she was just bar- basically buried after she died. Nobody paid any attention to her at all. And uh, now she's really become the expert uh, on the JFK assassination. It's amazing.
0: So now let's talk about um, her death. What, what was the circumstances that surrounded that? It, it, because I understood it that she died of uh, a drug overdose. Now, what, what is the real story there?
1: Yeah, as you know, I'm working on a, a new book that will compare the uh, deaths of uh, Marilyn Monroe, uh, JFK, and Dorothy Kilgallen. And there's a lot of similarities in those deaths, especially between Marilyn and Dorothy. But what happened to Dorothy was um, her big mouth uh, caused her some problems. Now, uh, that, that may seem like a criticism. It is, but it, it isn't meant that way. Uh, Dorothy uh, had this 18-month investigation of the JFK assassination. She forgot Lee Harvey, Harvey Oswald. She didn't want anything to do with that. He was too confusing. Nobody could figure out who he was or what it was all about. She focused on Jack Ruby, and she ingratiated herself with Melvin Belli and Joe Tonahill, the, his defense lawyers. She interviewed him twice. Uh, she kept notes from the front row. She listened to the uh, Ruby trial um, uh, testimony, which I exposed in Denial of justice about Ruby's actions Uh, before he uh, killed Oswald, which show without any question, a plot to kill the president. Uh, He admits in a phone call he was going to be there when Oswald was transferred. Uh, The police helped him get into the basement where Oswald was. He made like a reporter to do that. Uh, he watched the assassination from, in Daily Plaza from the Dallas Morning News. Dorothy saw and heard all of that evidence, and so she put it into her columns. The first one was, the Oswald uh, file must not close, and then she went on from there. So uh, she interviews Ruby, and then she goes to New Orleans, where she investigated Carlos Marcelo, who was, um, in her opinion, the most logical person to have orchestrated the JFK assassination because of Joe Kennedy fixing the 60 election and appointing Bobby Kennedy attorney general. Bobby went off after all those guys in a double cross because Joe had sworn that if they helped them win the 60 election, they'd leave those guys alone. And in, in 1965, or 1963, Kilgallen figured out uh, that, um, you know, Marcello's back was against the wall and she did what I did, which was to say why wasn't Bobby Kennedy killed instead of Jack, uh, and instead of Jack Kennedy? And the answer was, well, what you, what you do is you kill Jack Kennedy, so Bobby Kennedy will be powerless, and that's exactly what happened. So she had all this evidence, her New Orleans trip and everything, and then as she got to the end of, of 1965 uh, in November, uh, she started telling everybody what she was going to do. Uh, it's the biggest case of a lifetime. I'm going to crack the case wide open. Uh, to a hairdresser, and, and the interviews are up on the Dorothy if the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination, it would cost me my life. She told the other hairdresser, I'm afraid for my life and my family, and I'm going to get a gun and change my will. So Dorothy went ahead and just announced to the world what she was going to do, and unfortunately the wrong people, uh, those threatened by what she was going to put in this book she was writing for Random House, they just couldn't let that book happen. And I'm going to give you some new uh, I- evidence in a little while as to why I'm back trying to get an investigation of her death. But to answer your question, she was found in her uh, Manhattan townhouse. It was quite a lavish place on East 68th Street in a bedroom she never slept in, uh, in a bed she never slept in because she had found her estranged husband there with a, with a, with a guest. And uh, then uh, she was wearing clothes, uh, bed clothes she never wore to bed. Uh, she had on makeup she never wore to bed, and a hairpiece she never wore. She was uh, a book she was supposedly read was upside down on her de- on her lap. Uh, no reading glasses or anything, but there was an empty bottle of Secanal sleeping pills on the bedside table. And the police, who came much later after her body was discovered earlier in the morning, they came in the middle of the afternoon. They took one look at that and decided, hey, this must be another celebrity who either committed suicide or overdosed or whatever it might be. So uh, they decided, you know, that that's probably what happened. There was a flawed autopsy that we can talk about uh, that basically said that Dorothy had died of a combination of uh, ethanol, alcohol, booze, and uh, barbiturates, but they added to it circumstances undetermined. And another piece of evidence that I've come up with recently explains why There wasn't any investigation of her death at that particular time. Uh, Nobody stood up for Dorothy, and basically, uh, for the most part, she disappeared for the next 50 years.
0: How do you connect Marilyn Monroe uh, to Kilgallen, like the death?
1: Yeah, well, people have, uh, you know, and I hope people that listen to your show, uh, and it's happened this week again, and especially with the, uh, the, the video on YouTube going viral. I hear from people all over the world. It's amazing, Al, how many people are still alive uh, from back then. I just interviewed a guy yesterday who knew all about the Kennedy family in the 1960s in in Boston. He he heard about them, and some of the things weren't very nice about the Kennedys, and he got in touch with me because of the uh, uh, coast-to-coast radio uh, interview that I did a couple weeks ago. So I get tips from an awful lot of people, but many people kept saying to me, listen, Mark, there must be a connection between Marilyn Monroe's death and Dorothy Kilgallen's death. And so one day, uh, you probably do this too when you get an idea, I took a napkin at a coffee shop and I started writing down all the similarities. And there were many of those. Uh, The main one, I think you probably would say, would be the fact that uh, both women died very conveniently uh, after they were going to expose uh, information about powerful uh, people. Now, we just talked about what Kilgallen did but also Marilyn Monroe, uh, I was able to, and I, I'm getting more evidence all the time of this whole situation with regard to Marilyn and the Kennedys. There's no secret that she and uh, JFK had, a, had a, uh, an affair, uh, and then Bobby Kennedy took up uh, from that when, uh, when JFK dumped her. And she basically told an awful lot of people just before she died that she was going to tell the media about uh, those relationships. She was going to talk about some of the things that both Kennedys told her that might have to do with national security and other things like that. And uh, so, you know, Marilyn didn't keep her mouth shut. She went ahead and let the wrong people know uh, that uh, she was going to expose some of the things that uh, would have destroyed those characters, would have destroyed the presidency. Joe Kennedy always had the idea, as I found, that he would create a Kennedy dynasty. Uh, you know, he couldn't be president because he had a had a, a kind of appeased Adolf Hitler when he was ambassador to Britain. And when he came back, he said, "Well, if I can't be president, then I'll use my money and my power, and I'll, uh, you know, use get my sons in the White House." Joe Kennedy Jr. was to be the one, but he died in the war. So next up was JFK, and then. Um, and then with delusions of grandeur, uh, Joe thought it will be JFK. Then it will be Ted, Ken- or it will be uh, Robert Kennedy, and then it will be Ted Kennedy. Well, if you've got a-, a beautiful blonde, sexy woman who slept with both of those sons, and she's about to expose the nasty details of all that, you just can't let it happen. So both women, I think, felt like they were invincible, especially Dorothy. She was such a you know, the New York Post called her the most fo- powerful female voice in America. So she thought she was so powerful that nobody could touch her. And I think Marilyn Monroe probably had the same feeling as well. So I'm working my way through Marilyn's death. There's, uh, she and Dorothy were very good friends. Um, in fact, uh, Dorothy wrote some columns about her and her, you know, supposed affairs and things like that. And what really uh, made me uh, connect into uh, what Dorothy or what um, uh, Dorothy had written about uh, Marilyn were uh, uh, two or three columns after Marilyn died, and uh, I won't go through them all. But uh, basically, she talked about some question marks that she had about the death scene at Marilyn's uh, when Marilyn died, uh, some other aspects of what happened the night before Marilyn died. But her uh, her last uh, her last comment was: "Sleep well, uh, sleep well, sweet girl. You have left more than a legacy than most." If all you ever left was a handful of photographs of one of the loveliest women who ever walked the face of the earth, that would be enough. And the real story hasn't been told about your death, not by a long shot. So, Al, that was a a real clue. And what I've done is, and what I'm doing, is I'm looking at uh, Marilyn Monroe's death through Dorothy Kilgallen's eyes as I looked at the JFK assassination through Dorothy's eyes. Because, again, I wasn't there. But through Dorothy's words and through her observations, through her conclusions and things, I think uh, we'll be able to tie in both of those deaths as well as add some more uh, information to uh, what I had already exposed about the JFK assassination.
0: Now, now what she was working on uh, about Jack Ruby and, and her interviewing and all that, that was never found,
1: was it? Oh, boy, unfortunately, no, but I, I still am searching for it. I've, I've asked the New York Police Department. I uh, flew out to New York City two weeks ago and met uh, briefly with the New York uh, City Police Commissioner, the new one, uh, Dermot Shea, and uh, asked them that the cold case squad would look into Dorothy Kilgallen's death. Uh, it's a long shot, but uh, he, he put me in connection with a detective in his department, and so hopefully I'm I'm going to work on that. And one of the things I've said to them is, where is Dorothy Kilgallen's file about the JFK assassination uh, you know we have, have, we have uh, photographs of her at the Ruby trial holding that file we think the Jack Ruby interview notes are in there and the other uh, observations that she had about the JFK assassination but when she died uh, that file uh, disappeared now Uh, I was able to find for the book Denial of Justice, uh, the butler's daughter, Dorothy's butler's daughter, a woman named Brenda who lives in New York City. uh, The family lived in the Kilgallen home. So she knew, Brenda did, a lot about Dorothy, her life and times, her parties they had, everything that was going on. And based on recollections of what her father told her, uh, she said, yes, they knew she was working on the JFK assassination. Her father warned her about being involved in that. And then she said that her father told her that on the day that Dorothy died, before the police came, FBI agents or those posing as FBI agents swarmed the uh, townhouse and took all of her documents, files, any written materials, whatever they could find from the townhouse. Uh, If that account is true and it seems to be accurate, then I still believe that that, F- that Dorothy Kilgallen's JFK assassination file may still be around. It could be in the New York Police Department files or it could be in the FBI files, although I've filed Freedom of Information requests uh, asking for it and haven't gotten it. But I'm hoping that the New York Police Department, if they look into Dorothy's death, may be able to comb some of those files and uh, we may be able to find uh, that file of Dorothy's that disappeared when she died.
0: Well, how are, how are the New York Police Department and, and their response? And uh, uh, is there any, um, you know, investigation going on
1: now? Well, you never know with these kinds of uh, situations. You're like I am, I hope, uh, an optimist. <laughs> but anytime <laughs> you are dealing with government agencies, I went through this with the New York District Attorney's uh, Office. Anytime you're dealing with government agencies and you ask them to look into the uh, activities of another government agency, and uh, they do, and then they find out, hey, wait a minute, uh, yes, there were some real problems with regard to the investigation that happened and all of that. Uh, they're very reluctant uh, to go forward with regard to that. I hope that doesn't happen this time. Uh, they, they, you know, The commissioner seemed to be a man of his word. He seemed to be in, uh, you know, doing this in good faith. When he talked to me, I talked to him personally after a presentation he made at a luncheon, He gave me this detective's name. I have it. I've forwarded emails to the detective, and now it's in their hands as to what they do. Um, I'm continuing to uh, be persistent and and ask what's going on and all of that, and I'm getting a little help with a couple media people back in New York that are kind of watching what's happened. So am I uh, optimistic? Yes. Am I realistic? Yes, too. Because, again, that's one of the problems that we have. You look at the Epstein case. You look at other cases that uh, end up very mysterious deaths. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to look into this, and then, you know, it never goes anywhere. So I'm going to keep after it, Al, but, um, you know, you just never can tell with regard to what, uh, as I say, these government agencies will do. Uh, I mean, look at the the, the government the, the government that we have right now. They still have not released all of the JFK assassination documents, and this is what fifty some years later. Uh, they were required to do by do it by law, and they still haven't done it. So, it's it's a it's an uphill battle, that's for sure.
0: Hmm. Uh, so now, how was she in in? Uh when she was doing this investigation and, and mm-hmm. uh, interviewing Jack Ruby and stuff, how was she amongst other you know, Hollywood people
1: and other uh, stars mm-hmm. and
0: things like that? Did she, was she getting along, or were they kind mm-hmm. of upset with her?
1: Well, there's two sides to that story. It's a good question. I haven't been asked that before. It's a good question, Al. Uh, two things there. Uh, let's, let's talk about the Hollywood crowd and all of the celebrities and fellow reporters and those kind of things. Dorothy was very, very well respected. Uh, integrity uh, was, the, was the name, I think, that, that people would associate with her. Um, you know, she, she was a person who, uh, what we really need in journalists, you know. She was a college dropout who overcame all of the gender barriers and became the most powerful female voice in America. Swimming, Hemingway said she was the greatest female writer in the world. Uh, such a wordsmith, but she was one of those that went out, and I wish we had more today, and people have said to me, we wish we had more reporters like Dorothy Kilgallen today, um, who went out and got the facts. And then she basically, uh, you know, presented those facts and let people make up their own mind instead of these ludicrous situations for reporters today who want that sensational headline, and then they fit the facts to that. And so she was very well thought of. On the Dorothy Kilgallen there's my favorite photo of Dorothy. And she is standing at the, ja- at the um, Dr. Sam Shepard case uh, in, the, in the courtroom, in the middle of the courtroom, and you see her and all of the reporters gathered around her with just such admiration on their faces for who this reporter was because they knew that Dorothy got the facts. So she got along very, very well with those particular people. Now, as far as the whole investigation of the JFK assassination came, she was the lone wolf. Uh, everybody else was listening to uh, to um, J. Edgar Hoover uh, shout to the world, Oswald alone, Oswald alone, Oswald alone, which continues to this day. Um, everybody was brainwashed with that. In fact, I've uncovered kind of a scheme at the Sixth Floor Museum uh, in Daly Plaza uh, had an experience with him last year where I learned that basically that's become a shrine to, to, to Lee Harvey Oswald. There's not all points of view about the assassination there. I visited when I was in November. The books in their bookstore are all Oswald alone. The exhibits are Oswald alone. Um, I think it's to stay relevant uh, for some reason. They feel like that building, they even says the building is the one that changed the world. Well, that's not what changed the world jfk's assassination was so there's these continuing cover-ups but when dorothy was shouting hey wait a minute you know oswald file must not close we've got to get to some of the other aspects of the assassination uh... she was the lone wolf there was a lot of jealousy there uh... the uh, four hundred reporters uh, Al, at the uh... trial of jack ruby and she's the only one who interviewed jack ruby well you can imagine that didn't you know set very well with an awful lot of the other reporters so Um, Yeah, uh, there were some nasty things said about Dorothy, and she doesn't know what she's doing. Hey, you know what? She's on a quiz show. What's my line? That's who she is. She has a gossip column. Uh, How can we, you know, in any way give any credibility to what she's saying about the JFK assassination? Now, I think after everything that I've done with the two books, and, and hopefully in the new one, and the presentations that are up on YouTube and all of that, we've overcome some of that. But, but, you know, it's not hard to understand that that's how they first uh, perceived Dorothy Kilgallen, that she was this gossip columnist and a panelist on a popular uh, quiz show, and so, uh, you know, there's, there, there's just no credibility there. Why should we listen to her? Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so what kind of um, new evidence have you come up with that you well, there's,
1: there's, Yeah, there's two or three things that are, that are really interesting here. Uh, Number one, uh, I had always, and and I'm a little bit apologetic for this, in both The Reporter Who Knew Too Much and Denial of Justice, I really slammed the New York Police Department because there was no investigation. And uh, I think that was logical to do at the time, but most recently uh, I've been able to interview Dr. Michael Bodden, who actually people will recognize as the famous forensic scientist, uh, he was actually uh, on the, uh, his name is on the Dorothy Kilgallen autopsy. And I hadn't seen that before until about six months ago when I happened to look at that autopsy again. Uh, I found it at the National Archives. It had never been published before, and it's in denial of justice. And basically, what it shows is that, uh, hey, uh, what they decided was uh, death of uh, combination of alcohol. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, second all, uh, circumstances undetermined. And that meant to me that there was a mystery about what happened to Kilgallen's death. But the uh, New York uh, Medical Examiner's Office, the medical examiner who, by the way, was a junior medical examiner, just like the one who performed the autopsy on Marilyn Monroe, Thomas Noguchi, not the main medical examiner, just kind of the uh, inexperienced one, Um, had had said to the press that that Dorothy died accidentally well uh, I talked to Baden and I showed him the uh, uh, certificate of of death which um, by the way right off the bat was completely wrong they called her Dorothy Kilgallen Calmer which was her husband's name she never went by that name they misspelled Kilgallen with two L's in in the beginning and they had her birth date wrong in there, and I confronted Baden with that, and he agreed that that was a mess. And I said, you know, it just seems to me like that they, it was since they, they put mysterious, uh, circumstances undetermined regarding her death, that Dr. Luke, this uh, junior medical examiner, should have never told the, um, the uh, media that Dorothy died accidentally because they didn't know. And he agreed with that. And so that made me realize that there was a real problem with regard to the fact that, um, you know, uh, whatever happened with the police, they were just told that, um, you know, she died accidentally. So I went back to my notes for both books, and in The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, I first had found a quote from Detective John Doyle, who was the first detective on the scene at Dorothy's death on, the, uh, on November 8, 65. And uh, he came there, and he handled uh, some questioning of Dorothy's husband, which turned out to be uh, untrue, what he was told. But there was a quote by him. He said, uh, All I got from the medical examiner's office was a slipper of paper saying, Death due to visceral conjection, con- congestion, circumstances undetermined, no more detailed report than that. If there was any cover-up on this whatsoever, it would have been down at the medical examiner's office they never went into detail had explained to me that there was an overly amount of barbiturates in her system then i probably would have dug a little deeper there was no indication at all there was anything out of the ordinary and so when Doyle got uh, the idea that she died accidentally uh, he just said hey okay fine that's the result we're not why should we investigate there's no homicide here or anything we should you know let's let it go and that's what he did he didn't know that three years later, of course, uh, there was a toxicologist, and I have uh, you know primary sources talking about this, who had kept some of Dorothy's bodily functions and went ahead and retested him and found that there were three barbiturates in her system, not only uh, Secanol, but Tulanol and uh, Phenobarbital, uh, and this is what Doyle is talking about, that in fact, there were three barbiturates. If he had known that, he would have investigated, so... In the new book that I'm talking about, Collateral Damage, it's called, uh, that hopefully will be out of the first, uh, the first of next year, um, I'm going to not in, exactly apologize, but I'm going to say that I, I believe that the blame for no investigation uh, really uh, lands in the lap of those people at the medical examiner's office, especially Dr. Luke, who gave the media the wrong uh, information uh, that she had died accidentally, and that's where it ended.
0: Wow, that's,
1: that's just crazy. Now, there's a second answer to what you said, if you don't mind my telling you. Oh, sure. No, go ahead. Because this one's more important, I think, uh, maybe than that. Uh, you've, you've covered stories, Al, and you always think that there's a hole someplace, that you wish you knew something you didn't know. Uh, and this happened to me because I could never figure out exactly what happened just before Dorothy died. How did those people uh, who were threatened by Dorothy and the logical ones were J. Edgar Hoover, who she knew had covered up the JFK assassination, along with the Warren Commission and all that? She called the Warren Commission investigation laughable. They never called her to testify or anything. But um, so they and, and, and Carlos Marcelo, who was the most logical person to have orchestrated JFK's assassination. Um, What did those people know or others, other enemies of Dorothy's know that finally uh, told them, listen, we've got to silence this woman? Well, uh, I I didn't know what that was going to be, and I couldn't find it. I just figured out that they got the information from somebody. But recently, um, it wasn't too long ago, and it's an interesting story how information comes to you. My wife and I went to Paris about three years ago and my favorite bookstore in the world is um, uh, Shakespeare and Company. That's where James Joyce and Ernest Hemingway and all of them hung out. And um, uh, we, we went in there and looked around, and you just feel the, the great authors of the time still there. And they had just had a book published about the history of the, uh, of the store. And when I got home, I, b- I bought it. When I got home, I read it, Al. And in there, there was a, an account by a, a gentleman named Ed... I've promised to keep his uh, identity uh, you know, uh, confidential at this particular point, although he will talk to the uh, New York Police Department. But um, he had an account in there that he was sent by the mafia to Las Vegas, to Sands Hotel, uh, to check on a, uh, a dealer there who they thought was cheating. And uh, he went out there, and uh, I was able then to get information about him and contact information two years later from the manager at the Shakespeare and Company. She got in touch with me because I asked her to give it to me. She didn't for two years. She finally did. I called him in Las Vegas, who's still alive, and I started asking about what happened, and he said, well, yes, I did go out there. I found the dealer was cheating, and he laughably said, well, I'll tell you what, he never cheated again, <laughs> which means I assume that they uh, you know, taught him a lesson but we're going through things about Frank Sinatra and did you know who Dorothy Kilgallen was? Yes, we knew about her. She came out there quite a few times. Uh, we saw her. She was always writing about, you know, the the stars at the Sands and everything. And I said, "Well, thank you. This has been very helpful." And then I, I just don't know why, but the main suspect in Dorothy Kilgallen's death is a guy named Ron Pataki. He's still alive and in Limington, Columbus, Ohio. He was a journalist who um, really became very close with Kilgallen in what we believe was a romantic relationship uh, right before she died, well, just after the Jack Ruby trial, then all the way up until she died. And in both The Reporter Who Knew Too Much and Denial of Justice, I have accused him of being involved in Dorothy's death, because we have a witness who saw Dorothy with a mystery man, uh, she said, uh, at the Hotel Regency the night before Dorothy died. And uh, through uh, my research and a lot of primary witnesses, we found out that that was uh, this Ron Pataki. He had written a couple poems that I discovered on his website that had to do with how Dorothy was killed. And uh, they, were, they were very, um, you know, expo- they really exposed the fact uh, that he had a lot to do with her death. One of them was called, Never Trust a Stiff at a Typewriter. And uh, the stanzas are, There's a Way to Quench a Gossip Stench That Never Fails. One cannot write if zippered tight. Somebody who's dead can tell no tales. And then if that wasn't enough, he wrote a second one, which really sets out the way that we believe uh, Dorothy Kilgallen died, that barbiturates were, uh, uh, the capsules were uncovered and put into a drink of hers, either at the Regency Hotel bar or at her home later later in the evening with this mystery man, who we believe was Pataki, and he writes a poem that uh, I've given to the New York Police Department because basically it indicates the, almost the exact way Kilgallen was di- uh, died that we believe and, and facts that only the killer could know. It's, it's titled Vodka Roulette May Se- Seen as Relief Possibility. Vodka Roulette Seen as Relief Possibility. While I'm spilling my guts, she's driving me nuts. Please fetch us two drinks on the run skip all of the noise, make one of them poison, and don't even tell me which one. So it's that part of that, while I'm spilling my guts, that always made me wonder if Pataki told the wrong people what Kilgallen was uh, going to put in the book for Random House, uh, what did that lead to her death? Well, when I talked to Ed, right at the end of the conversation, and this is one of those things that's happened where... Uh, material came to me that I would have never expected. Right at the end, I said, oh, by the way, before you hang up, do you know who Ron Pataki was? And he said, well, yes, I do. I said, you do? He said, yes, well, of course. And he proceeded to tell me this information. He said, what we knew was that uh, Pataki was very close to Dorothy Kilgallen, and we uh, we believed at least that uh, she really trusted him, uh, that they had a romantic affair and everything. And we found out that Ron Pataki got in trouble, some sort of trouble, uh, during the uh, final months of 1968 to September-October of 60, uh, 65, before Kilgallen died. And we understood that some of uh, the wrong people's um, you know, uh, individuals went to see him. Now, they could have been rogue government agents, they could have been FBI agents posing as agents, they could have been underworld uh, directives, whatever they were, they went to Pataki, and what we heard was that they said to him, look, uh, we know you're in some trouble of some sort, Ron. They didn't uh, tell us exactly what that was, but we believe it may have been gambling debts or whatever because Ron Pataki had a lot of financial problems. And um, they they said to Ron, listen, uh, we need to know what Dorothy Kilgallen's going to put in that book. And uh, Pataki, being in trouble, uh, went to Dorothy, we believe, and found out things that he didn't know, uh, along with things he already knew about what she was going to put in the the, uh, new book, which had to do with uh, the cover-up by Hoover, uh, Marcello, Giancana, other things that she had found out about the JFK assassination, and she shared them with Pataki. And we believe then that Pataki went back to these people and told them what Dorothy was going to put in that book and it really gives me a chill, Al, when I, uh, when I tell you what uh, the last words were that this Ed said to me. He said, you know, Mark, when Pataki gave that information about what Dorothy was going to put in the book to the wrong people, she was dead. And that's exactly what happened. It was about a month later that Kilgallen was found dead. So um, I've, I've gotten that information, and that kind of fills that hole in. And I'll put that in the new book. I gave it in that presentation that people can watch uh, on YouTube at uh, Dallas uh, on on denial of justice. And it kind of fills in uh, another part of the puzzle in terms of what's going on. Now, you may say to me, Mark, listen, um, Ron Pataki, uh, have you talked to him? Uh, What's going on with Ron Pataki? And I I always say, well, I've been straight with him since the beginning. I interviewed him three times for the reporter who knew too much, one more for denial of justice. Um, many times he would give me statements about Dorothy and different things that happened uh, that were inconsistent. Uh, he told me the poems were just humorous. They had nothing to do with Dorothy, but if you read them, that doesn't seem uh, uh, you know, to be, a, uh, be true. Uh, and I just, as a matter of fact, felt like I finally wanted to get back in touch with him. And so uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I wanted him to know about the third book. I've been completely honest with him. He lives in Ohio, as I say. He's 84 years old now. Uh, I've told him he knows. He's read the books. I sent them to him that, uh, you know, I believe he was complicit in Dorothy's murder. He's denied that, of course. But I sent him an email, and I said, listen, I want you to know that I found some new information about you and your involvement in Dorothy Kilgallen's uh, murder. Um, I, I want to be able to ask you to interview you again so that you can give your side of story, of the story. So this morning, I got a uh, one uh, part of a one sentence uh, um, reply from uh, from uh, uh, Ron because I told him I, I wanted to find out was the truth, and I really can't uh, say over uh, the air exactly what it was, but it basically said something about the fact that uh, I was a piss ant and I wouldn't know the truth if uh, somebody peed on my leg, something like that. wasn't very nice. I think that this is still another indication of Ron's um, having a guilty conscience all these years because every bit of evidence points to him uh, being involved with Dorothy's death. You know, the last time I interviewed him, Al, I think you'd find this interesting. Uh, At the end, I said, you know, Ron, you know what happened back then, and I know what happened back then, what you were involved with and what you did and everything. I said, you know, I think Dorothy really loved you. And, you know, you may have even really cared for her. And I said, you know, why don't you come clean about this and tell us what happened back then? Because... You know, I've been able to put together what I believe is the most plausible information about what happened, all of the evidence and everything. But you—you you were there. You know what happened. Why don't you come clean with me? And Al, there was about uh, more than a minute of silence, and I thought he was going to do that. And finally, he said, I- "I've talked to you enough," and he hung up. And I've let the uh, first the New York District Attorney's Office and now the New York Police Department know that I believe if they investigate Dorothy's death and they get a couple detectives in a room with Ron Pataki, I think he'll tell what happened. I think he wants to. I think this, you know, I'm not going to take what he said to me personally in this email he sent. Uh, I think it's an indication, though, that it's still bothering him. And so he wants to blame me for all the problems and for my... Um, you know, uncovering all this evidence about him. Hell, he knows that six, there were 600,000 views. I let him know of this presentation on YouTube. And er, in every presentation I talk about that he's a murderer and he's going to get away with murder. Why hasn't he sued me? Because I'm, the last place he wants to be is in a courtroom. Uh, and he never will sue me. I wish he would, but he never mm-hmm. will because the last place he would want to be would be in a courtroom. And I'm going to keep after him. And I'm going to keep after the authorities to investigate him because people might say listening to the program, Al, um, who gives a damn about this? Who cares about the JFK assassination anymore? Well, distortions of history, like at the six uh, Floor Museum in Dallas that thousands of people go in and and view, it, is, it, that's distortions of history. It, it shouldn't happen. Dorothy Kilgallen was the victim of a homicide in 1965. It doesn't matter if she died yesterday, five days ago, five years, or... Fifty years ago, she has the rights of, of a victim of a homicide, and it's the same with Marilyn Monroe, who died in 1962. So, you know, we want to pass over these things, but they have to do with history, and we have to do with the rights of victims, and that's why I keep going in terms of trying to find the truth about all of this.
0: Pretty amazing. Um, what was Pataki's, uh, do you think it was on his own volition like he, that he killed her?
1: well you know i'd like to I'd like to think that he didn't i'd like to think that he didn't realize that when he let the wrong people know whoever had contacted him, these rogue agents or underworld directives whoever that uh, that they were going to kill her. I'd like to think that he thought they were going to scare her and and you know if that was the case, then he ought to come clean about that. Uh, you know, no prosecutor in the world is going to try to put him in jail for Explaining what happened back then. And I think if he came clean about that, uh, it would uh, take care of that guilty conscience he has and also let us know exactly what happened back then. But um, he, um, you know, Pataki is the kind of guy who, uh, you know, I believe would have thought that he was just trying to get out of trouble. Uh, I I asked a a woman, uh, interviewed a woman, and that's in denial of justice in L.A. who knew him in the 90s, who said she didn't think Ron was capable of murder unless, unless he was compromised and had to do so. Right after um, Pataki, we believe, gave the wrong people that information about Dorothy, she was scared, and I believe that it was intentional. She woke up one morning, Al, and her youngest son, Carrie, who she had taken to the White House and uh, JFK had made a big fuss about letters he brought from the third grade class and things like that, um, that's one of the reasons that Dorothy took uh, JFK's um, death personally and launched this big investigation of because he the way he treated, Dorothy, or treated Carrie. Um, she woke up one morning terrified because the morning papers, there was a, uh, a, a photograph of Carrie w- uh, running across Central Park uh, by himself uh, with the nanny someplace close and it scared her because she knew what she knew somebody was following Carrie, and uh, i think that was an indication to dorothy stop what you're doing don't write that damn book stop this investigation and all of that and uh, it scared her but again dorothy thought she was invincible that nobody could touch her and she wasn't about to give up her investigation so she went forward unfortunately Uh, As a reporter, she died in the line of duty, this patriot who gave up her life for uh, trying to find the truth. But I think they did try to warn her uh, as to what happened, and I think maybe that Pataki, uh, in his own mind, probably thinks still to this day that he never intended, uh, when he told the wrong people what she was going to put in the book, he never intended uh, that they would go ahead and, and harm her, silence her. But, of course, the whole uh matter of the poems then comes back into play because especially the poem about the poison and the barbiturates and the bartender and all of that uh, give you the indication that he must have known something about how she died. So that's a real conflict with regard to what I talk about where, where it may have been un- unintentional that he, that he didn't really know uh, that she was going to be killed.
0: How how is her family now? She had a couple of kids. Like, have they um, dealt with this, or what do they say about it, or are they involved?
1: Well, it's again a great question, Al. You you really uh, prepared, and I appreciate it. Uh, Dorothy Kilgallen had three children. Uh, the oldest was Richard. Then the Jill was the middle one, and then Carrie. And uh, people say, you know, why didn't people? Did anybody stand up for Dorothy Kilgallen when she died in 1965? She had no uh... record of any alcohol abuse there wasn't any indication of any drug problems except for taking sleeping pills at times uh... why didn't they speak up well the reason was this and this is what the butler's daughter brenda told me everybody knew dorothy was working on the jfk assassination and so when she died they figured out that if the same people who killed jfk jfk killed dorothy they weren't about to speak up not her family not her journalistic colleagues not the people at What's My Line, the public, nobody, spoke up, not our hairdressers, nobody, because they were scared. In fact, the two interviews by the hairdressers uh, that are on the DorothyKillGallonStory.org and that you can, you can watch on the YouTube uh, uh, presentation on denial of justice in Dallas, uh, you know, basically they were not interviewed until the late 1990s because they were scared. It's hard to believe after 50 years that they were. So, uh, you know, the, the whole thing with regard to the children is the same thing. They have bad memories about what happened back then. Their mother, they I think they know, was murdered.
0: <coughs>
1: and unfortunately then, uh, Richard, her husband, uh, they had a strange relationship, as I said. He had become an alcoholic, uh, had a lot of downturns. He was a pretty well-known, uh, famous uh, Broadway producer for a while. In fact, I listened to a radio broadcast. He was Boston Blackie on the radio, and Dorothy actually appeared in those uh, episodes. I listened to that the other day uh, on an old radio broadcast, but he had fallen on hard times. And then, uh, you know, Dorothy uh, had had a couple affairs, one with Johnny Ray, the famous singer, uh, and also Ron Pataki. And he had gone out and and gone out with every woman on Broadway. So it wasn't a happy marriage. Uh, He did end up uh, getting married Uh, briefly after Dorothy died, but then he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. So you've got three children and I've been in touch with them, tried to get them to cooperate and all of this, but they basically put all that behind them. They didn't want to have memories of uh, what happened with Dorothy and that they didn't stand up for her and come forward and say, you know, my mom was murdered at the time and they didn't do that. And then the whole thing with their father, uh, even after he died, they had to contest the will and other kinds of things. So I like to give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of why they have never come forward uh, and and helped with, it, with the investigations, but on the other hand, uh, you know, uh, I'm a complete stranger. Uh, I didn't know Dorothy. Um, I've, be, I've come to love her and respect her, not in a romantic way, of course, but respect what she did and try to get the justice that she deserves. Uh, so, you know, it would seem like family members would want to come forward and do the same thing, but... Um, They haven't, and uh, I've pretty much given up trying uh, to get them to do anything. Uh, As far as I'm I'm concerned, uh, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. Mm.
0: So now, what's the website that you have for um, anybody that wants to get in touch with you or find out more about this?
1: Thank you. Uh, My website is MarkShawBooks.com and all of my books are up there, the four about the JFK assassinations, other biographies and things. Uh, the, uh, The site about Dorothy, there's the uh reporter who knew too much dot com but the better one really is the Dorothy Kilgallen dot org. The Kilgallen Dorothy Kilgallen dot org. That's where you'll see uh, all of the photographs, um, uh, the uh, quotes about her from famous people that knew her, uh, the columns she had and all of these videotaped interviews. There's one she did with her Edward R. Murrow talking about how um, how much she loved the newspaper business, all of that. Uh, my email is mshawin at yahoo.com, mshawin at com. I've gotten, oh, I don't know, thousands of emails. I answer every single one. And again, uh, if somebody listens to the broadcast and they knew Dorothy or they knew something about her or they knew Marilyn, they knew something about her or the JFK assassination or anything, uh, you know, I would hope they'd get in touch with me. Uh, to show you how that can occur, uh, a 99-year-old woman just got got in touch with me this summer, who, uh, whose sister was in Dorothy's wedding, and the three of them used to go out on Broadway to the various, various watering holes. And so I learned a little bit about Dorothy's demeanor and what she used to wear back then and all of that. And then, as I say, I've, I've gotten all these tips about Dorothy's death and the JFK assassination and all of that. So uh, I, I really appreciate it when people do that. And, and, Al, I really appreciate your having me on the program so that that may be possible.
0: Well, it's our pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll have that on our website as well, so anybody listening, if they can't remember, just one click and they'll get right to your website. Again, Mark Shaw, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Al. I appreciate it. You're a good man.
0: To find out more about our show, guests or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to (laughs) www.houseofmysteryradio.com. mission has been completed. the end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you.
1: If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.